Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number four of the Searcy Sports Show. I'm your host, Nelson Searcy, and whatever platform you are listening on and wherever you may be listening, I hope you are having a wonderful day. So normally, I put this portion of the show somewhere in the middle of the things that I have to talk about for the day, but with the recent events that have occurred, um, this has been on my mind a lot more frequently. Um, On Sunday, we all found out about the tragic news of the passing of NBA legend Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gianna, and seven others in a helicopter crash in California. Firstly, I want to send my thoughts and prayers to all of the families and those affected by this tragedy. Um, It really feels like we were all affected, as many of us are familiar with Kobe Bryant and what he has done for the game of basketball over time. I don't have a specific Kobe story myself. Um, As I've said before, I am a Boston Celtics fan, so growing up, Kobe was one of the competitive enemies. But man, what a competitor he was. Um, He was one of the greatest players that I've ever seen with my own eyes. And I have always respected Kobe and am very thankful to have been able to watch him grow as a player, a father, and a man. Kobe Bryant's life touched so many, along with his daughter's life and the other members of that flight, And I just wanted to take this first part of today's show to remind you to take care of yourself and to cherish life. You never know when your final day is until it's here, and make the most of every day that you have. Um, Love those around you, cherish each moment that life brings, and take care of yourself the best that you can. And that's really all I have to say. And to all of those who passed away in this tragic accident, uh, may you rest in peace and know that your spirit will live on forever through your families, your friends, your work, and the lives that they lived. So now we can dive into the bulk of today's show. Here are today's Searcy Storylines, three current stories in the sports world that are catching my eye. The first story of the day comes from the MLB, and it is involving the Houston Astros punishment that they received for their cheating scandal. Um, As we have found out, um, there were cameras that were giving away pitches. Um, They possibly had wires um, in their shirts that were giving them kind of the the pitches that were going to be coming, and there were just a lot of uh, technological ways that they were... um, taking advantage of the game. And I really believe that the quote-unquote justice that was served was um, their GM and their manager were suspended for a year. Um, And as we know, A.J. Hinch has left, and Dusty Baker was hired as the new manager of the Astros. Um, And the punishment also included a $5 million fine and a loss of their first and second round draft picks for the upcoming two MLB drafts. And that is a pretty decent amount of punishment, Um, but I personally think that every single part of a party that is cheating um, should be held responsible, and I I, I believe that the the players should be held accountable as well. Um, I'm not really sure what that would look like, as as this is such a unique situation um, as far as cheating goes, and goodness, like, the... There have been a lot of people talking about like how the players um, were, you know, just like following orders of 
the upper management and saying like we we found technological ways that we can cheat like put these on you know put these wires on or like watch these cameras and it's just like when you choosably accept to do something that you know is wrong um you are immediately at fault um and i don't know how many of those players regret it i'm sure a lot of them do especially because they know that they are talented and they know that they can win but it's just disappointing to see that they continued to use that technology and those ways of taking unfair advantages of the game itself um, in order to to win. And I think it it's it is a stain for the sport of baseball. Um, I'm not really sure what the MLB will do going forward. Um, they've already struggled a lot with their fan attendance recently, um, and they've had a lot of discussions about technology becoming a bigger part of the game. We've seen instant replays become much more popular. We've talked about um, implementing automatic strike zones, getting rid of umpires, and as technology increasingly floods into the sport, we now see a situation where technology has um, become a way that teams have have cheated. Um, And there's also the ongoing investigation of the Boston Red Sox. Um, And I don't necessarily know and I, none of us really know the the depths of this of, of their cheating and their forms of cheating but if it's any way similar to the Houston Astros um, I expect to see and I think that they deserve the same type of punishment that the Astros got um, there there have always been things in baseball where um, you know you can you can take advantage of, of a few things to help yourself competitively but as technology has increased, um, I just think that those advantages have become unfair. Um, and I think we all understand how um, this cheating has been unfair. Um, I mean, it, it's it's literally, you know, we're describing it as cheating because it is. Um, so whenever you throw out that that word, um, everyone understands that it it's illegal. Like you you cannot do that. And um, I'm just concerned for the MLB going forward to repair their image um steroids is one thing and we've you know we've already dealt with that scandal when that was a bit of a bigger deal um you know 10 or so years ago but now we are coming upon a scandal that has reparations that are a lot deeper than steroids and probably a lot harder to get rid of because technology is is just so ever present in today's everything society but especially sports um, so going forward, I'm just interested to see what kind of punishments players might get. Um, the Boston Red Sox punishment is still up in the air. Um, that investigation is still ongoing. And also just interested to see how the MLB tries to recover from this as I am a bit concerned for, you know, attendance and fandom and a lot of questions about integrity. And the MLB just has a lot of work to do. The second story comes from the NFL, and it is involving Taysom Hill, the one of the two backup quarterbacks for the New Orleans Saints. And an article that I saw recently on CBSSports.com um, discussed how um, Drew Brees is going to be coming back for this next season in New Orleans, the 2020 NFL season. Um, but going forward, uh, Mike Florio from Pro, Pro Football Talk um, has reported that in 2021, the Saints are looking to let Taysom Hill take over as the quarterback going forward. And if that is the case, I am really interested to see 
next year, the 2020 season, um, with Drew Brees still there, how they continue to incorporate Taysom Hill as a quarterback. Um, we've seen him be incredible on special teams. We've seen him run routes and make catches as a receiver. Um, we've seen him a lot in the backfield um, running a, running with the ball. And if they decide to follow up with this, um, that Taysom Hill would be the starting quarterback going forward, I really am interested to see what that offense would look like. Um, he does have an arm. We have seen him throw some deep passes before um, with pretty good accuracy and distance. Um, but I think that an offense that with a quarterback like Taysom Hill, um, it could look like a Lamar Jackson type offense where you have bigger guys, tight ends, um, and a lot of running backs that are useful to create a lot of variety in run plays, play action passes. Um, when they do throw the ball, it'll be very selective. So Taysom Hill probably won't throw the ball, you know, more than 25 times a game. But when he does throw, it'll be very useful opportunities. Um, and I, I think that could be very successful. But at the same time, um, Taysom Hill has a lot different of a skill set than really almost any player in the NFL. Um, so could we see a whole new type of offense? And I think that we very well could. Um, I don't necessarily know what that would look like um, other than just a variety of maybe wildcats, um, some pistol type of, of formations. Um, Taysom Hill just has such an, a unique all-around skill set that if you were to build an offense around him, I think that it would be so fascinating to see what it would look like in, in comparison to other offenses, especially ones with more mobile quarterbacks. Um, and the other question that can also be brought up is um, if the Saints are committing to Taysom Hill going forward, what happens with Teddy Bridgewater? Um, he is one of the more talked about names in terms of quarterback movements this upcoming offseason. And I do think that Teddy Bridgewater would have a lot of really good opportunities for himself to go and start somewhere. He performed very well when the Saints uh, lost Drew Brees for about a month uh, this past NFL season. And I think that somewhere like Chicago could be, the Chicago Bears would be a, a, a solid place for Teddy Bridgewater. Um, but going forward, I'm just very interested to see how Taysom Hill continues to develop not only as a quarterback, but as someone who is going to be asked to lead a franchise uh, with the kind of skill set that he has and to see what Sean Payton kind of draws up for him, how he gets integrated in the offense with Drew Brees still there. Um, he's been very integrated already, but I, I think that they're going to give him more and more opportunities. And so I'm just very interested to see what the Saints makeup will look like and where Teddy Bridgewater ends up in this next coming season. And the third and final storyline is also from the NFL, and it is regarding now free agent quarterback Phillip Rivers, formerly the quarterback of the Los Angeles Chargers. And it is has been reported that Phillip Rivers will be no longer the quarterback of the Los Angeles Chargers going forward. The Chargers are going to move on from him and look for other options. Um, and although he's 38 years old and did not have a very good season this past year, um, I think that he could be very useful for a few teams. Um, there are teams that have had some chatter that are looking, you know, maybe looking for quarterbacks like uh, Indianapolis, um, even though they do have Jacoby Brissett. Um, he's a young guy that takes care of the football pretty well. Um, he does have some appeal by other teams. Um, there's a team, there's uh, teams like Tampa Bay who currently have quarterbacks. Um, Jameis Winston, you know, had a lot of touchdowns, but he had a lot of mistakes. And Bruce Arians has talked about how. He believes that their team is good enough to win with with other quarterbacks as well. Um, so 
although Philip Rivers might be kind of similar to James Winston and the fact that he does have a lot of good plays, but he also makes a lot of mistakes. Um, I'm ju- I just don't think that Philip Rivers is done yet. Um, I don't know how well he will perform perform somewhere else, but I am just very interested to see what happens with Philip Rivers' development going forward because I, I just don't see him retiring um, at this moment, and whoever gives him a chance, I am just interested to see how that team develops with Philip Rivers as most likely the starting option going forward. Um, that just could be a very limited situation, but I don't think it necessarily would be that bad. Um, we haven't seen Philip Rivers outside of the Chargers organization ever, and if we were to see that, um, I'm just very intrigued to see what Philip Rivers could do and what team that t- decides to take him on um, will do how they will do going forward. Now I want to shift gears to what we saw from the conference championship games in the NFL playoffs this past week. Um, the We saw the Kansas City Chiefs defeat the Tennessee Titans in the AFC championship game by a score of 35-24. to 24. And I wanted to talk about the two coaches that were involved in that game, um, the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs being Andy Reid and the head coach of the Tennessee Titans being Mike Vrabel. Um, I think that both of those co- coaches deserve a lot of credit. Um, for the seasons that they've had. And Andy Reid, I I said earlier in one of my episodes of my show that Andy Reid has had some issues with um, managing games in the playoffs and in the clutch in the past, and I was really interested to see how his game plans and his management happened in this playoffs, um, and it's been incredible. Um, Andy Reid has drawn up some really awesome game plans for the Chiefs, and they've been very successful in terms of continuing to let Patrick Mahomes do what he does best, and that is sling the, sling the ball. Um, their run offense and defense has been much better, uh, very useful, and their run defense needed to be good against a team like Tennessee, who has Derrick Henry, who is um, arguably the best running back in the NFL. And also the run offense for the Chiefs needs to be good because Mahomes can, Mahomes can do a lot, but he can't do everything all the time. Um, so the fact that they've had their run offense and run defense clicking has been very helpful and their pass defense has continuously improved throughout the season and guys like uh, Tyron Matthew have played very very well in the playoffs and um, Andy Reid just deserves a lot of credit I think that he has been really the main reason that the Chiefs have been so good Um, obviously you know players have to execute a game plan and, and their players have played very well but I think that Andy Reid deserves so much credit for how the Chiefs have performed in these playoffs so far and as far as Mike Vrabel goes, coaching the Tennessee Titans, um, I think that in that game, in in that game, even though they did get off to a lead, um, Patrick Mahomes started to make a lot of really big plays. And and once they got down, I think that they abandoned their game plan a little bit early. Um, but I know that Mike Vrabel is is a smart guy. Um, I know that he will learn to kind of stick to his game plan no matter what happens. And and there is a point where you know you you have to become a little bit desperate if you get down. And a team like Tennessee has troubles, you know, without the lead because they don't have an explosive offense. They just continue to run the ball well, hold, try to hold steady on defense. But um, Mike Vrabel is a smart guy, and and I really do see the Titans being a force going forward. Um, they do need to figure out their situ their quarterback situation with Ryan Tannehill. Um, he's, you know, in his he's in his thirties. Um, so they kind of needed to make a decision on whether they want to commit to him, um, what they're going to do after him, if they were to franchise tag him and have him around for one more season. Um, 
So the Titans do have some decisions to make, but I think that Mike Vrabel being at the helm and the learning that he will have gotten from this playoff run, especially this AFC Championship game, um, will be very, very useful going forward. And in the NFC Championship game, we saw the San Francisco 49ers defeat the Green Bay Packers by a score of 37-20. to 20. And the main story that came out of that game was, surprisingly for me, not the 49ers' successful run offense. It wasn't their defense really continuing to step up and be a huge, huge force in, in their games. Um, it was that Jimmy Garoppolo did not throw very many passes. Um, and I, I've i never really had an issue with teams knowing a game plan and sticking to them, and I don't think that the 49ers want to have Jimmy Garoppolo have to put a bunch of weight on his shoulders. Um, I think that Jimmy Garoppolo is a very solid quarterback, and, and he can, you know, take a lot of the... He can carry a lot of weight in a game. Um, he can, you know, put, put the team on his shoulders at times, but he doesn't need to do that. Um if the 49ers game plan is successful, he doesn't need to throw the ball that much. And the, although the Titans try to do, you know, try have tried to do that for Ryan Tannehill and they tried to do that against the Chiefs and it didn't work, I think that the the core parts of the 49ers, um, as I just said earlier about their run offense has been amazing and their defense has been very, very good. The Titans kind of have a similar mold to the 49ers, but the 49ers are just better at at everything than the Titans are. And so I, I, I just think that if the 49ers can follow their game plan and execute properly, um, they can beat the Chiefs in the Super Bowl without needing Jimmy Garoppolo to throw, you know, 25, 30 passes. Like if Jimmy Garoppolo th- goes 10 for 15 for 120 yards and a touchdown, that, that could easily win them the Super Bowl, which is crazy to think about that a quarterback would not, need to have a massive impact to to win a huge game like that but he really doesn't with the with the way that the 49ers like to play football um so i hope that that isn't a huge story if the 49ers are to go on and win this the super bowl i i really just i i hope that people aren't attacking jimmy garoppolo for only throwing eight passes 10 passes 12 passes and still winning and and taking credit away from him because when your number is called in a game plan and you execute, that's it. Like that, that should be the whole story. So if Jimmy Garoppolo's number gets called twelve times and he executes properly ten of the twelve times, he deserves all the credit in the world for doing his job. And, and that goes the same way for any other player in the 49ers team. It's just that we are so focused on the quarterback being the number one value on every team that whenever we see a quarterback who doesn't need to throw the ball forty times. Um, and, and put up all these massive numbers that we we discount that value. And it, it's still so important um, for Jimmy Garoppolo to be a leader on and off the field. And so going forward, I hope that we give Jimmy Garoppolo just as much respect as the rest of the team if he is to perform well. And no matter how many passes he throws, he has done an, an amazing job with the 49ers this year. And with that being said, I am now going to give my Super Bowl prediction for this year's Super Bowl between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. And I'm going to pick the Kansas City Chiefs to win the Super Bowl by a score of 29 to 27. Um, Although I do think that the 49ers are a good matchup for the Chiefs, um, I think that the explosiveness of the Kansas City Chiefs as a whole on offense and defense um, is, is going to show up in a big way. Um, I think that Andy Reid, as I said a few moments ago, 
I think that Andy Reid's game plan so far have been have been great, and the fact that the Niners do have a similar identity to the Titans, um, I think that Andy Reid's really he's going to know what to do, what what they have to do in order to execute and win that game. Um, I think the 49ers will give them a heck of a fight. Um, I think that they're going to run the ball a lot. I think that they're going to be successful in doing so. But I just see the Chiefs as a whole as as just a, a much stronger, more explosive team. And I am going to pick the Kansas City Chiefs to win this year's Super Bowl. And now for the final section of today's show, I want to give out my midseason NBA awards. As the NBA All-Star Game is fastly approaching, uh, we have a great sense of the players and the coaches who have made great impacts this year. And starting with my NBA Most Valuable Player, I have Giannis Antetokounmpo from the Milwaukee Bucks winning that award. Um, Giannis won the award last year, and he has hit the ground running and continued his incredible play. Um, I just think that with the Bucks having the best record in the NBA, if they were to end the regular season with the best record, um, Giannis is is the heart and soul of that team, and he just continues to put up incredible numbers. Uh, my runner-up for the award is Luka Doncic. Um, his rise to stardom has been incredible. Um, he's had an amazing year, and, and I'll be honest, at the beginning of the year, I didn't think that the Mavericks would even make the playoffs. Um, but man, Luka has just taken the NBA by storm and he's been very efficient. He's been very powerful. He's just been good in all aspects of his game. And although he most likely will not win the award this year, I would not be surprised that if in the next three to five years, we see Luka Doncic as the most valuable player of the NBA. My pick for the coach of the year in the NBA is Eric Spolstra, the head coach of the Miami Heat. Um, the Miami Heat have also been another team like the Dallas Mavericks who have been very surprising to me. Um, I thought that the Heat would probably make the playoffs, but I didn't think that they would be, you know, in the top four in the East. Um, Jimmy Butler has been very impressive, um, but I think that Eric Spolstra's ability to coach players of all levels, um, they, their young guys as, as Tyler Hero has developed as a rookie, and Bam Adebayo has been incredible for them this year. Kendrick Nunn, another rookie who's been very good. Um, you can just see that Eric Spolstra's um, focus on development in the young players, the veterans, and just putting their team together has been very impressive. And I think that the the Heat have been the most surprisingly good story of any team in the NBA. Um, and my, another team that has been very good and my runner-up coach is Nate McMillan, the coach of the Indiana Pacers. Um, the Pacers have had a lot of injury problems and they have fought really hard to stay kind of in that top four discussion as well as the Miami Heat in the in the Eastern Conference. Um, so Nate McMillan deserves a lot of credit for his work as well. Um, they are going to get Victor Oladipo back soon from injury as well, which will be huge for them, and I'm sure that they will continue to play very well. Um, but the job that Eric Spolster has done with the youth that they have and, and kind of the, the newer team that they have has been ultimately so impressive. My pick for sixth man of the year in the NBA is Montrez Harrell, a power forward slash center for the Los Angeles Clippers. And the Clippers have a heck of a two-headed monster of a sixth man in Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams coming off of their bench. And the Clippers have been very solid this year, as many people have predicted with the additions of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Um, and Montrez Harrell has really stepped up into being a core piece of that bench role, and he plays a lot of minutes for them, despite not being a starter most of the time. And I just think that although Lou Williams is still doing his thing, 
and he's my runner-up for sixth man of the year, and he's won it a few times. And, and everybody knows Lou, Will, Lou Williams as um, as the sixth man, really uh, the 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 example for a six what a, of what a sixth man should be. I think that Montrezl Harrell's rise into the part, you know, half of that lead of that six-man group that the Clippers have has been ultimately so impressive. And so I'm going to give the Six Man of the Year award to Montrez Harrell. My pick for Defensive Player of the Year is Rudy Gobert, the center for the Utah Jazz. And a couple of years ago, when Rudy Gobert started to become a bit more relevant and find his role in the NBA, um, I started to watch more Utah Jazz games. And at first, I wasn't super impressed with him just on the fact that I you know, saw that he was a shot blocker just because he's super tall but his offensive production was somewhat limited and and I was kind of waiting for him to bloom in really all aspects of his game and that he does. And his defense has been so incredible. And along with his offensive improvement, I think that really he's become the premier example of a defending big man in the league. And although my runner up is Giannis Antetokounmpo, who is also a very successfully defending big man, um, Rudy Gobert just does everything on the defensive end that you could ask out of a center, and he is an intimidating shot blocker. He can keep up with people of, of many speeds, um, and he's just improved his skill set so much that I think that he he definitely deserves to win Defensive Player of the Year this year. My Rookie of the Year pick is John Morant, uh, the point guard for the Memphis Grizzlies, and John Morant has been very explosive, very special, very fun to watch. Um, Another guy that's been very fun to watch is Kendrick Nunn, and he'll be my runner-up. Um, I don't think that Zion will... I mean, Zion's going to make a great impression, and he's already had a couple of pretty good games, but I think that Zion only playing half of the season and the fact that the Pelicans do have a lot more you know, solid guys on the team right now as Brandon Ingram's been playing very well this year. J.J. Redick is there, who's a veteran shooter. Lonzo Ball's been... You know, is, is a very consistent guy for them as well. Derek Favors has been good. Um, Zion will get his opportunities, and he will probably average you know between fifteen and and twenty points a game, and you know a handful of rebounds and all that. Um, but I, I just think that the impact that John Morant has had in the Grizzlies being in the playoff race in the West is is incredible. Um, the Grizzlies don't have a bad lineup by any means, but I just think that John Morant's ability to to lead them and what he's done so far this year has been really impressive, and he is my pick for Rookie of the Year. And my pick for Most Improved Player is someone that I was talking about earlier when uh, I was discussing Eric Spolstra in the Miami Heat, and that is Bam Adebayo. And my runner-up pick for the Most Improved Player Award is Devontae Graham, the uh, a guard for the Charlotte Hornets. And both of these players um, have just come out of nowhere and really surprised me with their ability to be um, influential to their team success. Um, Devontae Graham has slowed down a little bit in terms of efficiency, but he's been very good with his assists, his three-point shooting. But Bam Adebayo on both ends of the floor has been so impressive. Um, his offensive production has been great. His defensive production has been great. And him being the core of that team along with Jimmy Butler, um, I just I just didn't see it coming at all personally. Um, so I have Bam Adebayo winning the Most Improved Player Award. And with the conclusion of my midseason NBA awards, that concludes today's episode of the Searsy Sports Show. Uh, I thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, just a reminder, you can check out episodes and clips from the show on Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts under the name The Searsy Sports Show. 
And you can find the show on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Until next time, this has been your host, Nelson Searcy, signing off.